With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lockaway channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pamper Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. When I first learned of Salinas and Marisol Leva's memoir, My Sister, How One Sibling's Transition Changed Us Both, I assumed the title sort of said it all. But Selenas, who you know and love from her roles on Orange is the New Black and Diary of a Future President, and Marisol, a model, a cook, activist, well, they could fill volumes with their stories. For Marisol, identifying as trans and loving herself through her gender transition did not come easily. For Selenas, her unconditional love for her sister was tested by her own battle with depression and a career that often felt like it was going nowhere. Theirs is a story for anyone who has ever fought to live life on their own terms. This foster child comes into your home, comes into your life, baby Jose. What do you remember about Jose as a child? I loved babies. Like, you know, every everything baby was like amazing to me. And this little baby came in and, and I just wanted to hold that baby, baby Jose, so much. Like that was my my thing. But one of the things that stood out was because I had already had foster children around me and other siblings and family members, I knew the sound of the cries, you know, babies cry a certain way. And what struck me immediately about this particular baby was that the cry was desperate, almost like an agony somehow. And that was because of the withdrawal because the baby was born to a mother who was addicted to drugs. So I wanted to shower this baby with the love that I felt that it didn't have from the start. Marisol, how do you remember your sister? Always loving, caring, supportive, accepting. Always let me live my truth when I was around her. Strong, powerful, kind, 
Like, my sister's everything to me, you know. She's always been there for me from the very beginning. I've been attached to her, as we discuss in the book, since day one. Marisol, you say you knew very young that you were different. How did that show up for you? I always dreamed of fantasizing of waking one day and being a girl, but in my reality, I felt like this is not possible. Like, I'm going to have to live this way forever and just accept me for who I am. I just knew I was very different at a very, a very young age because I saw the difference in, from girls and boys and then myself. And I didn't feel like I connected as a, a young boy. You go through so many ups and downs together. And as much as the book centers on Marisol's story, Salenis, you were not without your own struggles, especially during those teen years. What do you recall most from those times? I carried with me a lot of self-hate from my childhood. And that, you know, the anti-Blackness that exists in our community, in the Latinx community, was very real. And it's something you don't even realize you're carrying with you until you start interacting with people outside of your own community. And you realize, oh, you know, I was taught to feel always that I was the ugly duckling. Out of all my cousins, I was the one with the unruly hair, you know, the wide uh, nose, the full lips. And that was always seen as less than. And I carried myself as if I was less than. So those were heavy years. And because I was the oldest, I didn't talk about it. I was expected to just take care of everyone else and not talk about my issues. I was a girl who was in pain and who who did not feel worthy. And I think I'm talking about it more now in my 40s than I was back then. Like now I'm able to say, yes, I'm an Afro-Latina. And everything that I was taught that was ugly is not ugly. It is what it is. And I am this. And there's a celebration in that. So I'm able to, you know, embrace that. But but the damage has been done. And there are days and there are moments that I do look at myself and I go, you know, if only. And I have to catch myself because it's deeply, deeply rooted. Marisol, tell me about the experiences that helped you understand both who you were and how you wanted to show up in the world. I think that one of the things that made me feel comfortable in my skin is knowing that there was a community to identify myself with because from all my childhood, I felt like I was the only one, the outcast, the black sheep, the one that's weird or like different and doesn't know who they are and trying to find themselves. By the age of 16, I was introduced to a, a community by having the access to internet. And, and just connecting with different people online. And for me, it was, it was a, a, a nice experience. It felt like I finally belonged somewhere. And then when I started to like have conversations with people, knowing that I didn't even know there was all these different like sexualities and, and genders and, and then meeting my friend who was actually trans, but at the time I didn't know she was trans. And she broke it down to me. That was like the very moment that I felt like, oh, my God. So this is possible that there is people like me who feel like they're born in the wrong body. So as you say that Marisol's identity was an unspoken truth in your family, what let you know that, that you knew and your mom knew, but that it wasn't something that you wanted to talk about? I thought, and my mother, we thought, okay, well, this little boy is gay. 
And that's just how it is. And we're going to uh, love him and continue to support him and watch him and take care of him and protect him. And when I say protect, it was because we knew that in our community, in our circles, in our families, whenever the, the issue of being gay came up, it was always the butt of a joke. And so we knew that we had to protect this little baby, this boy, this young man at all costs. And maybe people wouldn't almost like realize it or not realize it, but just wouldn't like zoom in on it so much that it would be a thing. I wasn't thinking about transgender because it wasn't part of my vocabulary, but I did know that when at the age of 16, Jose turns to me and says, I'm gay. I remember thinking like, okay, yeah, that's not new, but do you want to be a woman? And I, and it came from such a pure place of me seeing perhaps really, really deep and beyond the surface. There was an essence there that I knew as a female, as, as a woman, and I can't even explain it more than that, just like I knew. It's almost like a connection where you're just like, but but there's more. But there is more here. It's not just this. Marisol, how did you feel when your sister asked you that question? Scared because a lot of the feelings I was feeling as a childhood, I've never talked to anyone about it. Everything was just to myself. And I had to deal with that for most of my childhood. And when she asked me, it was just like... <gasps> you know, kind of like that kind of reaction. I think that holding it in for so long, I couldn't even have a re- like an answer to her because I was in shock. Miss Juleka, nice to have you on. Must be a special reason. Yeah, yeah, you know it's a special reason since I like to be behind <laughs> the scenes. <laughs> All right, so when Canto Beauty decided to come on board... I mm-hmm. Yes, you rushed to volunteer to try the products. <laughs> I know, but I've already been using the coconut curling cream for years, so I figured I wasn't going to miss a chance to try out sister products. I liked the photo you sent me the other day. Your hair looked really good. And that was just after one shampoo and conditioner. My curls were shiny and smooth, man. And my comb was not full of my own hair after I detangled it in the shower. So how many products are you using all told? Right now, I've got like four. So I'm using the shampoo, the conditioner, the leaving cream. And then can I just tell you what my favorite is? Mm-hmm. The Wave Whip. First of all, that name is everything. But I love how my waves and my curls just are fuller. They're more touchable. They're less frizzy. I mean, I know I sound like an ad, but let me tell you. <laughs> well, you can enjoy the benefits of the Gantu Beauty hair care line, picking up your favorites at Target or ordering from Target.com. What is just so striking to me throughout my sister is that you two clearly love each other so much and you come from a deeply loving family. And even with all of that love and with more resources than than a lot of people have, 
you still, Marisol, end up running up against a lot of the challenges that LGBTQ, specifically trans, specifically trans women of color, run up against, including having a really precarious housing situation at some point, right? I mean, you go through your late teens, your early 20s, your housing is in flux. There's a period where you're living with Salinas. And, and that just doesn't work for either of you. And Salinas, I sort of first want to hear from you. I mean, you play the role that a lot of us play in our own families, right? Where we are the eldest and and people rely on us and people expect us to show up and at the same time have trouble with boundaries and knowing how to set them and when to set them. So this is is sort of a critical moment for you because it's, it's the first time you really set a boundary with Marisol. And you do a thing that I... I cannot imagine having to do, which is to say, you cannot live here and we have to find another place for you to live and that other place is a shelter. Those are moments that I think about now that that hurt and that, I mean, obviously it worked out, right? And it was the moment of tough love. And it's a moment that I had been told by my parents and my other siblings that I needed to do with Marisol. Here I am trying to be everyone's everything, right? And then I'm struggling with my own stuff. You have a marriage that is falling apart. You're going through depression. Your career's stuck in the mud. I mean, it was uncanny how often you two were in a very challenging place at the same time. Oh my God. Like, so, it was so hard. And I, I didn't have anyone to talk to. There was no one that I can say, you know what? Today I thought about how I'm going to kill myself. Today, that's my thought. And that moment where I literally said, I, you can't live here anymore. It was literally like, let me try this. I've tried everything else but the tough love, right? I cried. I cried so much in that car, but there was something, something that told me this really could possibly be a turning point. And I think, you know, obviously after reading, uh, writing the book together and, and going through it and talking about that moment was when Marisol had her own epiphany that night. When she first told me like, okay, you, you can't live here anymore. Yes, I was completely heartbroken. I was just like, oh my God, like I'm so used to having my sister. And then I knew that at the same time, this is like, I have to do this regardless because I'm going through my own issues. I knew my sister was going through her own issues. So I didn't want to continue to add my baggage onto her. And so I knew that this was it. This is, I have to make the best out of this situation and, and make something happen. So that night when I got dropped off and I'm meeting everyone at the shelter, I felt a relief. I had hope. I have, I felt faith. I went to sleep and I, you know, my mom told us to pray. And I just prayed that night and I cried myself to sleep, but not of like sad tears. It was happy tears because I felt yeah. like I was finally going somewhere in my life that was more positive than all the experience that I experienced beforehand. Linus, how did you um, learn to live with, to manage your own depression? I think it was just the realization that I had a human being, my daughter, who needed me. And it was a moment where I said, well, who's going to care for her? Who's going to love her? And I felt horrible at the thought that I was in so much pain that I was willing to let go of the one person that I love the most on this earth. That one moment that I talk about in the book, 
I knew at that moment that if I hadn't looked back in that rear view mirror and saw my daughter's car seat, I would not be here today. I am fully aware of that. And I, I remember, I think it might've been the same day that I started looking for, um, psychologists and psychiatrists. And I had both and I did both and I got on medication and it was really, really hard because the medication for anyone who has dealt with taking antidepressants, it changes you. I felt like I was not me anymore. Whatever me was, whatever that memory of me, it was no longer there, but I was able to function. I was able to get out of bed. I was able to be present for my daughter, even though I felt like there was a part of me that was missing. And then one day I said, okay, I think it's time to to get off of these and let's see what happens. But I stayed with the therapy for a while because I knew I needed something. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads, what did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blow-up barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blow-ups. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size 8. And now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important. And it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? (laughs) They do look cute, though. Bringing cheer, M&M's for all fun kind. But so during the years where you were at the shelter, there's so much progress. You legally change your name, your gender on government forms. You've got a stable job, though. We'll say in the process of getting that stable job, you experience employment discrimination and and deal with a lot of the systemic issues that, that trans women deal with. And then just as we feel like things are really coming together for you, you meet a man who turns your world upside down. How? For me, for a while, it was hard to even date as a trans woman. Like, there are a lot of men who are attracted to trans women, but they have their issues, their insecurities because of what society puts on them as a man. And so I just knew that 
like for someone like me, like what are the odds of you finding somebody that's going to accept you for who you are? So I felt like this person, I, I believed him. And everything starts out being great in the beginning. And then that's when I started feeling like I was losing myself and like being controlled. I ended up like leaving my job because of it. Like everything was being controlled. I wasn't seeing my family like I used to see them or my friends. I no longer had social media. And these were all signs from someone who is a domestic violence partner. So at the time, I felt like I was giving into all of these things because I felt like as a trans woman, as a, I was a woman first, I felt like that was like, okay, that's what I have to own, like own up to because I'm a woman and he's the man, so I should listen to what he says. And also there was something about like me wanting to hold on to it because I will often be told, you would never find somebody like me that who's going to accept you. Like, who are you going to find? You're not going to find nobody. Nobody's going to want you. It was, it was just, it was very intense, but like, I just want to say like, these are, this is our reality and how society looks at trans people. That plays a very big part when it comes to people who are attracted to trans people, because that alone brings so much issues into a relationship because that person might not be, you know, they think they're ready, but they're not. And I know they are good men out there who are attracted to trans women and they would treat you with the most respect and ex- accept you for who you are as the woman you are just get you just gotta learn how to pick them it's great advice salinas as an afro-latina as a mom as a sister to a trans woman how are you processing this moment that we're now in For me, as a mother, as an Afro-Latina, I'm excited that my daughter is living through this time, that she's seeing this, that she is educating herself, that she's challenging her thoughts, that she's challenging what she's being taught in schools. Um, She's challenging her friends. They're having conversations now that maybe were just not acceptable before. We grew up in a household with a Cuban father. So politics was not something that you wanted, right? A Cuban man. And politics was something that you could not talk about. Aquí no se habla de Fidel, aquí no se... You know, I mean, it was very clear. If you were a Democrat, you were a communist. But through conversation with my father, with my Cuban father, through conversation... And it wasn't easy. At first, it was ugly. But you know what? Now my dad, who, you know, was a registered Republican, has voted Democrat and is is a different person. But that came with years of really honest conversations that were ugly at times. So if we are in this phase, right, of honest, ugly conversation, I'm all for it. Because that's the only way we're going to see the other side of this. We've done a really great job in this country pacifying everything, covering it up with fake smiles. I am in an industry in Hollywood where, you know, when you have diversity, you know, rules, really diversity, you know, like, let me tell you, I have had to, as an Afro-Latina in Hollywood, I have had to suck it in. I've had to keep my mouth quiet for a long time because there is fear that you will be blacklisted because a white person, Caucasian people can act crazy They can go to rehab many, many times. (laughs) See, they could stop production. They could, I mean, they could have breakdowns. But you have a, a person of color 
even remotely even say something like, I don't like my trailer. And suddenly you're the difficult one. I am not going to live in fear anymore. I lived in fear for a very, very long time. And I'm excited that we're here where we are because that's it. It's been exposed. And if I'm on a set and suddenly I'm being treated very differently than my Caucasian counterparts, you will hear from me. Enough is enough. I feel we cannot go back. We can never go back. Yep. Anyway, I fully agree with all of that. Um, Here's my final question. So, so much of my sister and what I think makes it so specific but so universal is that you both spend the early part of your lives fighting so hard to be who you want to be and to have the life that you want to have. Marisol, I'll start with you. What is it like now to live something closer to the life that you always imagined for yourself? It's very liberating. I'm very proud of myself because I've come a very long way and having a book out there, audio book, um, being an activist and being the voice for my trans community, LGBTQ plus community. I've never been around, first of all, trans women who are voices for the community, who are activists. And it's not until when my sister invited me to this women's event that she was presenting an award for Laverne's Cox for Women of the Year. And I was her guest and there were many trans women there and I got to sit with them and hear their stories. And I was just like, oh, my God, there's, you know, there's people out here making a difference in a positive way. And so I knew that I wanted to do that as well. It's so liberating, so inspiring, because if I could change one life, I feel like I've done my job. And Salinas, for you? First of all, I I love me. I know who I am. I'm very clear as to the people I want in my life, and I'm not apologetic about it. I've because I found myself for a very long time living for other people, and I'm finally living for me. And I'm telling you, like no one can tell. Now it's on. Like if <laughs> whoever meets me now is in trouble because now it is on. I had somebody who told me. who I dated years ago. And he said, I'm so lucky you don't know you're a queen. And I was like, what? And I completely understand him now. Like, yeah, yeah, you better believe you're lucky that I didn't know that I was a queen because I would not have put up with so much, you know? And now I'm in a place in my life where it's, it's, um, It's on and there's no going back. Just like I feel like historically we can't go back. Seleni's labor is not going back. So buckle up, people. Buckle up. I love it. I love it. Thank you both so much. Thank you so much. I'm glad it finally worked out. Thanks, as always, for joining us. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantigua-Williams and me, Alicia Menendez. Virginia Lora is our managing producer. Cedric Wilson is our producer. Manuela Bedoya is our social media editor. We love hearing from you. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. And remember to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you are listening. And please, please leave a review. It is one of the fastest, easiest ways to help us grow as a community.
a little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.